Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. It's Katie and Izzy, and Kitty sitting on Izzy's lap. I can't hear her, but she's there. Well, you'll probably uh, hear you're... her. I'm sure she'll hit the microphone or purr <laughs> right into yeah. it. Every time you hear a microphone get hit or anything, it's always a cat, just so you know. Or me just yeah. speaking very emphatically. Yeah, we like to speak with our hands. But we're back with another episode. And I think we're going to have a lot to say on this episode. I know I have a lot to say about this movie. You know what? I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to. But I didn't love it. I saw it. I'm not going to yeah. see it again, but I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So, the movie that we are talking about is a new film that came out this year. The Black Phone. Oh. Kitty's really cute, you guys, just so you know. Um, <clears throat> so, currently, it's streaming on Peacock. If you have Peacock Pri Premium, that's what it is. Peacock, Peacock Premium. Prime. <laughs> I was like, it's not Prime. What is this? They should uh, just all call them Prime if you have to pay for it. <laughs> it's like the Optimus Prime version. Yeah. Um, but it's on Peacock Premium. I almost said it again. Uh, if you want to uh, go watch it, it is directed by Scott Derrickson, who you might uh, know who's done Doctor Strange, Deliver Us from Evil, The Sinisters, which go figures. You know, we, we talk about directors and cast members working on multiple films. Uh, this is another one of them. Um, but he also did the, Earth, uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still and The Exorcism of Emily, Emily Rose. I can really speak today, I swear you guys. Um, that movie, I didn't understand it when I first watched it, but I was also like really, really young when I watched um, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and I got really confused for a while. I've never seen it. Oh, really? I don't think I've, it, I don't think I've really ever seen any, like, besides The Conjuring movies and the original Exorcism, I don't think I've ever seen any other Exorcism movies. Um... You know the girl from Jennifer Jennifer Carpenter? That's who I'm thinking of. She like Dexter and stuff. And she was also in oh, quarantine. Yeah. That's 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 the main actress in it. Oh, okay. Is she Emily Rose? Yeah, she is. Okay. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting to say the least. But uh yeah, just some of the other things that he's done. The producer of this, uh Oh, he, he was also the producer of this, correct? No, or am I missing but he here? has produced Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Sinister 2. He didn't direct those ones. He just produced. Oh, he just produced them. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Which I just saw the Multiverse of Madness and boy, was that dark. And I was like, no fucking way yeah. did the person yeah. who made this not do horror films. Turns well, out... It was it was Sam Raimi. <laughs> yeah, turns out it was the guy who did uh, Evil Dead. Dude, Sam Raimi's a genius. He's so good. Yeah, that movie was so good. I loved it, but that's because that's all down my alley. I love Sam Raimi. He's done some wonderful, wonderful works. So. It, was a, it was all right. It wasn't my favorite Marvel movie. I didn't mind that it was dark, but it wasn't my favorite. But I mean, that's fair. I enjoyed it. That's neither here nor there. Uh, this is also a Bloomhouse production, Blumhouse, Blumhouse, sorry, Blumhouse production. Uh, so, you know, I had high hopes 
when it has Blumhouse, I have high hopes, and it is filmed in a well in a well done way. But like, there's so much I need more. There's so much more that I need from this. <laughs> so apparently, um, in order to like hype up this movie, they also did a release of their new like logo motion. It's called a motion logo. Um, at the beginning of the movie where it shows like oh, Blumhouse, yeah, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jason Blum was telling people to look for as many Easter eggs in that motion as you could because they included a bunch of their like biggest horror films throwbacks mm-hmm. into it. Um, the ones that I found listed were, of course, Black Phone, Halloween, The Hunt, Get Out, The Purge, Happy Death Day, The Gift You Should Have Left, Paranormal Activity, Sinister, um, the Puka episode of Hulu's Into the Dark, and Whiplash. I'm pretty sure hmm. there's supposed to be 15. I feel like I didn't read 15, but um, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. You got the purge in there, right? No, it. They didn't say the purge in this specific article, but I wouldn't. Oh, well, know what an you got the pur- the purge masks are in it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm literally, I'm literally like going through it, like pausing it back and forth right now. Do it. Um, I don't know some of did those. Blumhouse, so. Did Blumhouse do Insidious? Because if they did, they ha- that would make the Red Door. Pretty sure they did. So, because Blumhouse did the new Michael Myers, right? They did the new Halloween. Mm-hmm. And so that's the beginning of it, is Michael standing behind a tree in the woods. Then you go through a window did, into a house. Didn't they also do Oculus? I think so, yeah. I'm sure that one's in there. That was a good one. And then, yeah, and then there's two girls holding hands. One of them's wearing a bunny mask, which I think is your next, maybe. The other one is wearing a purge mask. Or did they did they do the one with the cabin where people were wearing monk face masks? Um, huh? The strangers? Don't they wear masks in that one? Yeah, they do. But the strangers I, uh, was done a long time ago. I don't think Blumhouse did the strangers. Um, I think it's your next because your next has the bunny mask in the front. Sure, um, I haven't seen it. <laughs> that's fair. I was really hyped up for it, and then I predicted the entire thing, like we did with Devil. There's a bathtub, and a girl calling, or somebody in the bathtub looks like they're drowning. Let's see. It just goes by so quickly. I'm trying so hard to like pause all these things. Uh, um, there's they did do insidious, paranormal, the conjuring, sinister, the Lord of Salem, the purge. Oh yeah, they fucking uh the lipstick demon. I hate that it's called the lipstick demon. Darth Maul's in this. That's what o- I call him. <laughs> Oculus, Thirteen Sins. There's an axe. Ouija. Oh, okay. The, the Lazarus effect. The gift. The gallows. I'm just listing them. You feel free to split. That's not really a scary movie, but... No, it's a really good movie, but no. Creep. Creep, creep. Benji. That's a scary movie. <laughs> Truth or dare? Um, I don't. Some of it is so hard to see. I can't catch it. 
Black Christmas. I'm trying to think of the what could be the girl in the bathtub. The craft? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen the new craft. I haven't either. The Invisible Man? Uh, I, didn't, I mean, like, I didn't see it. <laughs> uh, you should have left. Black Box. I don't know. I'm just listing book, uh, books. I'm just listing books now. Just kidding. Elevator. That's a TV series. I don't really want to know what that's about. All right. Well, anyways, they made it. They redid their thing. It's probably pretty neat. They'll keep making movies. Kudos for them. Yeah. So this film is actually based off a short story that's written by Joe Hill called, you guessed it, The Black Phone. Oh, thank you. The screen adaptation was written by Scott Derrickson and his buddy C. Robert Cargill. And apparently these two work on projects frequently together because you'll recognize Cargill's name from the Sinister movies. Mm-hmm. And they've pretty much, like all the projects they have, they've basically worked on together. But Joe yeah. Hill, fun story, is actually the son of Stephen King and his wife, Tabitha King, who's also an author, but nobody talks about her as much. Uh, <laughs> Uh, his first published book was a collection of horror stories called 20th Century Ghosts. It came out in 2005, and that is the collection in which the short story, The Black Phone, is found in. It did win the Bram Stoker Award and the British Fantasy Award for Best Collection. In 2000- I wonder if... So, I'm just curious if it would have more of the details that I'm hoping that I want to get but don't ever get from this movie. So at the very end, I do detail the short story and major differences. Okay. Deal. I, you're not going to get what you want. Just, I'm going to tell you now. I figured, I figured unfortunately. You're not going to love it. But yeah, um, I actually read it online. It was like 15 pages. You can find it for oh, free. Okay. Uh, but yeah, in 2008, he made his novel debut with Heart-Shaped Box, which has since become a bestseller. And I just want to read this, like, quick about this book because it sounds really good. Okay. Uh, so it's about aging rock star Judas Coyne, who spends his retirement collecting morbid memorabilia, including a witch's confession, a real snuff film, and after being sent an email directly about the item online, a dead man's funeral suit. Oh. Uh, it says Jude is informed by Jessica Price, the dead man's daughter, that the old man's spirit is attached to the suit, such that Jude is effectively buying himself a ghost. Jude cannot pass up on this creepy opportunity. The suit arrives in a heart shaped box. Various odd occurrences cause Jude to realize that the ghost is deadly and out to kill him and those around him. That's done. Done. That does sound good. I'd be curious to read that. The novel has four sections, and those four sections, including the title, are all named after classic rock songs, including Heart Shaped mm-hmm. Box by Nirvana, Black Dog yep. by Led Zeppelin, Ride On by ACDC, Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, and <laughs> Alive by Pearl Jam. All right. So he picked a theme and he went with it. He also wrote the novel Horns which was also adapted to film starring Daniel Radcliffe. And That's really weird. He did write the Netflix, or he wrote 
the novel that the Netflix hit series Lock and Key is based off of. Oh, damn. He's got a lot of good works out then recently. I haven't seen Lock and Key. And I I've... watched Horns when it first came out. And that it was weird. <laughs> I've heard Lock and Key is supposed to be pretty good. So Yeah. And that's all I have for so, the beginning. So into the movie, shall we dive? All right. Head first. We're going in. The movie. <laughs> Starts off in North Denver, Colorado in 1978 with a use, use, a use, oh my God. <laughs> you got a it. youth baseball league game. I swear I know youth with a TH. Um, shortly after, uh, a boy from one of the teams, his name is Bruce Yamada, he goes missing. Um, and then that's when the opening credits hit with a series of missing children posters, which are all featuring victims from uh, the child abductor plaguing this town. And they have labeled him the grabber, which is kind of a weird name, I guess. It's but... not. A... Oh, I'm sorry. I just hit my microphone. I mean, that was a cat. That wasn't me. I'm a professional. It was <laughs> yeah. um, it's not a very catchy name, considering, no. you know, what ones they've come up with but whatever right it's on you the know. nose the grabber what do they do they grab kids yeah uh, um you bruce, <laughs> bruce yamada <laughs> is played by tristan pravong i have no idea if i pronounced that right who hasn't really been in like much else noticeable he has some smaller parts but this is like his big thing mm -hmm. uh throughout the film you kind of see people's missing posters yeah and Bruce Yamada, his poster says that he lived on 17 Wrangler Drive. He was missing since July 18, 1978. He was last seen near Northwest Middle School. He was born June 12, 1965. Oh, it's so sad. It was like right after his birthday, uh, which made him 13 when he disappeared. A month. And then it jumps to Finney and his younger mouthy sister, Gwendolyn. And guess what oh, the day is? Awesome. Friday, Just... October 13th. 19... Best day ever. 1978. I was interested. Um, the number one song on this day in 1978 in America was Kiss You All Over by Exile. Uh, that's so funny. And the number one song in the UK was Summer <laughs> Nights by John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, R.I.P. I was literally about to say that. Um, that's that's a really... Random song. <laughs> I feel like that's just a really random song for it to be like number one, but okay. Did it come out like around then? Maybe? Solid out, question. Out. Give me one and, 30 seconds and I will okay. find out. Um, additionally, an infamous series of murders would be about to happen, uh, will occur in a small town called Haddonfield. You might have heard about this story. I don't know. Maybe sort of. It came out June 13th, 1978. Okay. So that would make sense of why it was a popular song at that time. One day after poor Bruce Yamada turned 13. Bummer. Uh, yeah. The Grabber, Michael Myers. You know, was connections. Rough, rough time to be alive. So, Finney... <clears throat> Finney is played by Mason, is it Thames or Thames, do you think? Uh, however you pronounce it is what I'm going to go with. 
it, this is like his biggest known or act, acting career to this date. He hasn't really been in anything else too much. Um, apparently, this northern Denver is just a hotbed of violence in this uh, town, and uh, we find out that not only is the are, are Hang on, I'm going to restart that sentence. <clears throat> so, not only do we find out that this poor uh, kid is dealing through a lot with just living in this town, but and friends disappearing, but uh, his dad is super abusive, and kids are constantly fighting and beating the shit out of each other, like, throughout this entire film. So there's a lot of, like, kid darkness. Um, and it also turns out that Finney is the target of a lot of the intense bullying. Uh, so it's 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 sad. His little sister is the badass, and I'll tell you about her in a minute. <laughs> she's she's the best part of this whole movie, in my opinion. Um, her mouth cracks me up. Yeah, dude. <laughs> so Finney has a best friend named Robin, uh, who you can see comes out and just beats the living Jesus out of this super big racist bully that towers over everybody and robin's just a badass so um, it made me think of uh, ender's game i don't know if you ever read that book or watched that movie but it starts out with him he's like this scrawny little kid and he's mm -hmm. getting bullied by some big guy and he again beats the living shit out of him just like that like he's got him on the ground and he's punched him in the face um and he gets called to the principal's office or something, and they're like, okay, well, you already had him down. Why did you keep beating him? And he said something like, "To, I didn't just win like this fight, but I won all the future fights because he beat him up so bad he was never going to fight him again. And I think that's yeah. what Robin was doing. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So Robin and Finney bond over films, possibly, because Robin recommends... That he sees text or that he watches Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was released in 1974. So uh, it either took a while to get to Colorado, or they're just they weren't playing it at all for Halloween. <laughs> uh, Robin does serve as like Finney's guardian on the school grounds, like Izzy was saying. He defends him during getting beat until, unfortunately, the uh, the the grabber happens to get him. Robin disappears. Uh, he's <clears throat> yeah he was he was really cool and then when he was grabbed i was like well fuck <laughs> um so it's robin arlano and he is played by miguel cesares mora is that how you say that cesares or car cesares i i'm very bad at uh spanish i didn't i took french i'm sorry uh, but he's a really great actor, and this is also kind of like his first feature film. Um, again, nothing I could notice that was... Uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Big. Robin's missing poster says that he was uh, from 9901 Harper Court. He was missing since November 9th, 1978. And he was last seen on Greenwood Street near Charles Street. Because we all know where those are. Yeah. It's Denver. Duh. It's, yeah. As, no. not, as none of us live in Denver. 
Um, he was also 13 years old. He was born February 2nd, 1965. Uh, next to his poster, there's also a poster of a cat. The cat is either in need of a home or is missing from his home. It's unclear, but there is a cat. So there's your cat. Yep, that's the yep. cat for the film. Yep. Um, so, at school, Gwen ends up getting questioned by the detectives because she knew details about the kidnappings that people, or that the police hadn't released, and so they were like, what the hell? Uh, she said that she had, <clears throat> she said that she had dreamt Bruce had been kidnapped by the uh, by a black van with black balloons. For some reason, these detectives didn't really seem to care that she has, like, premonitions and these kinds of powers, but were more just like, well, why do you know this? They just she, they just go with it. They're just like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. She knows things. Uh, so, Gwen is played by Madeline McGraw, and she was on a Disney show called Secrets of Sulphur Springs. Um, I'm sure that's never based off a book too. Heard of this. But she was nominated for an Academy of Science Fiction, uh, Fantasy and Horror Films Best Performance by Young Actor for her role in this film. And she's actually been in a few different movies and shows in smaller parts that were a little bit more recognizable. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, like she did she was a part she had a part in bones and just a bunch of other mm -hmm. random little things. She played like the younger version of people in a lot of movies yeah uh detective wright is played by e roger mitchell he is also in outer banks the last exorcism part two and a whole bunch of other smaller things uh well he's in big things but he has small parts not yeah. that that like is bad at all but i'm not gonna list them all detective miller his partner was played by troy rudisil he played an emt at the beginning of halloween kills yes and that's pretty much the only thing I cared to mention for him. But that night, Finney falls asleep watching the William Castle classic, The Tingler. It's where the mm -hmm. infamous scene with the hand coming out of the bathtub. Yeah. Uh, that movie stars our favorite, Vincent Price. Yeah, beautiful man. Everyone remembers we covered some of those movies that they had worked on together earlier on. Uh, 13 Ghosts and House on Haunted Hill. Mm -hmm. Was Vincent Price in 13 Ghosts? No. But it's no. a William Castle film. Yes. There we go. We did another one of his films, but I can't remember what it is. Hit the Pendulum. There you go. Thank you. That's... Sorry. That's why you're here. All right. Uh, That film came out in 1959, traditionally. Originally. Yeah. I mean. Un... Traditionally? <laughs> <laughs> We're know. good at this. Nailing it. Unfortunately, poor Finney is awoken by his dad beating the shit out of his sister with a belt because the detectives went to his work to ask him about his daughter and her visions. He tells her that the dreams she and her mother had are not real, which kind of is similar to uh, Haunting in Georgia. Haunting in mm -hmm. Connecticut, Georgia ghosts Two. or whatever. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that whole thing. The mom had magical visions killed herself the daughter was in denial kind of a thing uh but yeah it's pretty it's a pretty rough scene mm -hmm. so uh finney is, we, we then go into finney walking home from school one day and he sees a man gro uh, like drop his grocery bags next to this black van 
He says that he's a part-time magician and offers to show him a trick as he notices the black balloons in the back of the van, which he promptly gas he get he gets promptly gassed by the grabber and is kidnapped in the van. Yeah. And this is where you see the grabber for the first time, who is played by Ethan Hawke, who has been in Sinister, directed by the same director. So, you know, just more of the connecting and continuous actors and characters together, or actors and directors. I had found an article that said it was like an unusual for him because he doesn't typically play the villain. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that's bullshit. And... Because I remember him from Taking Vibes with Angelina Jolie. Yeah. And he was so phenomenal as the, like, bad person in that, that I feel like he should be doing more bad people. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but he's also in Dead Poets Society, Daybreakers, The Purge. There's a mm-hmm. new Batman TV series called Batwheels, where they will be, he'll be voicing Batman. Um, okay. He's in the Moon Knight series. Haven't seen it. Yes. He's actually the bat he's actually the villain in the Moon Knight series. See, whoever so. wrote that article did not do their homework. Um, <laughs> and then of course like 90 million others that he's famous for. Yeah, he's he's very well known. It's Ethan Hawke. It's Ethan Hawke. Everybody knows him. And can you believe Sinister came out ten years ago? Oh God. Well now I feel even older than I already felt. I know. My we nephew just... turned 14 and I'm just like, what the hell? We just did that movie too. I feel like we did, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, when he was offered the role as the grabber, he felt like super creep, or he left a super creepy voicemail for the director as the grabber being accepted or accepting the role. <laughs> so he's just really getting into that character early on, you know? Um, so Finney ends up waking up in a soundproof basement with nothing but a toilet, a mattress, and this black phone hanging on the wall. Um, there's also a crack from the phone, like, along the wall, which is, it, um, there's a reason, but you, it, it I, I gotta say, there's a reason, but there's not. <laughs> uh, it made me think of Sinister, like, the poster for Sinister with the girls dragging the blood along the wall, like, it looks like that, the line. Yeah. Um, Maybe he just likes to have lines on his walls like that. I think it could have been, like, a reference to that because he did Sinister, but I think it's supposed to just be that, like, because of what the phone does, it's, like, caused by that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It I just, doesn't make sense. <laughs> every time I saw it, I just was thinking of the Sinister poster. That's all I thought yeah. of. So, the grabber comes down and tells him that the phone doesn't work. And that he thought he had heard a kid on the other side once, but decided that it was just static electricity. Um, <laughs> Finney does hear the phone ring at one point, but no one speaks to him when he answers it. Uh, and and there's no time reference. This is what kind of drove me nuts as well. Like, there is no time reference. You have no idea how long he's been down there. Like, any of that kind of situation. Yeah, well, it went from July to October to November real quick. Yeah. Um, so when the phone rings a second time, he hears a voice saying Finny. And then, of course, he gets spooked and he gets spooked and hung, hangs up because what else would you do when you hear a voice on a line of uh, an unplugged in phone? Can I? I just thought of this. Um, 
I mean, uh-huh. one of the things about like having no reference for time is probably like the experience of being kidnapped. You don't know how long you're there. Maybe. So like we feel just as lost as confused. He does. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That's one good reasoning. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> the uh, the phone then probably rings again, and he talks to this little boy on the other end, and the little boy says he doesn't remember his name. Uh, and that's like the first thing. It's like the first thing to go with where he is. And obviously, you know he's dead, but you're like, I don't understand if you're trapped somewhere or not. <laughs> so I couldn't. It's like that reference to when you die, you like lose your name or something. I felt like it was a reference to something, but I honestly couldn't find where it was a reference to something. There's like a riddle. Never mind. That's not part of this. But um, I did find a quote by an author named Keith Donahue that says, to lose one's name is the beginning of forgetting. I didn't know what book that was from, but that sounds the same. I was also thinking, isn't Labyrinth, isn't there like a thing about forgetting when she's in that world? Like she has to remember the kid, the baby. Yeah. I couldn't remember well, if it was named specifically or just that she had a brother. No, it was it was more that she just more like wished the Goblin King to take her little brother. Um, and then he would turn it into a goblin and he would take care of her and things like that, and he wanted her to stay with him. Um but Anyways. She has to remember. She has to remember her lines. The "you have no power over me" line. But, <laughs> anyways, it's just it was a weird thing. I was like, that has yeah. to be a reference to something. Apparently, it's not an obvious reference. If it is, uh, but it maybe, turns out maybe we're just looking too hard into this. It turns out that the kid that's talking is Bruce Yamada. He reveals that no one else has heard the phone except Finny and the Grabber. Bruce reveals that there is a tile in the hallway. There's like a little tiny, I wouldn't even call it a hallway, to the toilet. Um, yeah. That is loose and that he should pull up the tile and try to dig his way out. Yeah. Which. Yeah. So. <laughs> another night goes by. <laughs> I think. Uh, the phone rings and it's a different boy telling Finney not to go upstairs even though the grabber left the door ajar. Uh, he warns him that the grabber is waiting upstairs with a belt to see or so that he can beat him when he tries to sneak out. Uh, this boy is Billy. He is a paper boy that was kidnapped. And his poster says, it looks like it says he was born December 12th, 1954, but that would not make him 13 unless he was, like we said, we don't really have a timeline for a lot of it. So he might have just been kidnapped a long time ago yeah yeah i don't know like late 60s but that it's would mean this guy like was around for a long time and he grabbed bruce and uh billy yeah no bruce and no, robin and, uh, really yeah. close together so i don't know what that timeline's about but yeah could have just been a typo because they didn't intend for anyone to look that closely who knows <laughs> Right, yeah. We we tend to do that. Uh, but that's the only thing I can read on there. The rest of it's super blurry. Except that he's a yeah. white male with blonde hair. But no one cares right. about that. 
So this is when you start seeing the boys like in the same space as Finny, but they're in awfully like mutilated conditions. So they're clearly the way that they died of some sort. Um, Billy tells him to use the cable uh, by the wall to try and pull uh, pull down the gate over the window because it's like barred, like Ronald Lee or like Harry Potter's room. Um, <laughs> uh, so he, yeah, he tells it to get to the window to uh, to climb up, get somebody's attention. Uh, not exactly sure how the game, like the end game plan was because. The window was really high. I don't know how you're going to get up there. Like, it's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think it was just a hope and a prayer moment. but Maybe. So, while he's getting the phone, uh, or while he's getting uh, phone calls, Gwen is trying to have dreams to help find her brother, and she ends up having a dream of Billy being kidnapped. Um, turns out the detectives start canvassing the neighborhoods. And they happen upon a house where a man named Max Miller lives. And Max Miller is played by James Ransone. James Ranson? He, he was also in Sinister. The police officer in Sinister and Sinister 2. Mm-hmm. And he has also, which... He was in It. We liked him in those movies because we were like, yeah... He was like he's a also le- legitimate police officer. Mm-hmm. And he's also Eddie in It at the remakes of Chapter 2, and he does phenomenal with it. <laughs> uh, but those are, like, I think his scary movies, I guess. He's in Prom Night. He plays one of the detectives. Mm-hmm. I think we saw that. He plays a lot of detectives. <laughs> that apparently is his niche. He's good at it. In uh, the American Astronaut movie that came out in 2001, his part is listed as bodysuit. Okay. Alrighty then. Anyways. uh, He is considered an unreliable source because he does coke. And as soon as the detectives walk in, they note the coke lines on the table. But he is, like, criminal-minding the shit out of what's been happening with all these kidnapped kids. he's got our red strings going everywhere. He's done a complete geographical profile, like, read style. He's triangulated and been like, it has to be here. But they don't take it seriously because he did coke. And he tells them he doesn't live there. He's just staying with his brother for a time. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, call us if you see these kids. And he's like... Or if I solve it, and then the guy points out the coke, and he's like, oh, I'm an idiot. (laughs) That's, uh, yeah, it's really unfortunate. And then I'm pretty sure that's when it pans from Max to the basement, and you find out that poor little Finny is in Max's basement. Yep. And Max is the grabber's brother. But he doesn't know that the grabber is his brother. That was kind of a cool twist. I agree. They they did it in a good way, at least for that part. So then the phone rings, and it is Griffin. I think his last name is Stag. And mm-hmm. he tells Finny that the grabber is really tired, and he's probably sleeping because he's been staying up all night, every night, waiting for Finny to walk up so that he could beat the shit out of him with a belt. Because he calls it playing a game, the naughty boy. 
And I'm assuming what happens is when they try and sneak out, he beats them up and then tortures and murders them after that. That's like his segue into torturing and murdering. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Griffin tells him that the uh, there's a lock on the door and it's a padlock that was on his bike and the uh, what the fuck is the word? The combination? Thank you. The combination I got, I got you. is carved onto a wall in the room because he was afraid he was going to forget it before he died but now that he's dead he doesn't remember what it is. So Finney finds it. He sneaks upstairs. The grabber is asleep in the chair in the kitchen and he moves to the door figures out the lock apparently like opening the door wakes up the dog freaks out wakes up the grabber and then mm-hmm. for some reason finney decides it's a great idea to run next to the road where he gets snatched up again by the grabber failed attempt and by the way the dog's name is samson and yes. that was a cute name it's a big dog too he's a it looks like a mastiff mix i think so uh the phone rings again, and it is a man named Vance, a boy, sorry, it's a boy named Vance Hopper. Oh, I don't think that there are any picture of Griffin's picture, uh, posters throughout the film. I, I, I didn't, I don't remember seeing one. By the way. And same with Vance, I don't think you see his picture. He seems a little bit older than 13, um, so he's a little yeah. bit... Well, Vance, I feel like Vance is older, and then isn't it Griffin who's really young? No, uh, the one who tells him to use the cord is the youngest one, I think. Billy, I think he's the youngest one. Okay. While he's on the phone with Vance Hopper, who I thought was the same, kind of the same actor as the character in um, Stranger Things Season 4, by the way, Episode 1. But it's not the Mm -hmm. same person. They just have the same hair. Uh, so Vance Hopper is talking to him and then he like jump into what happened to Vance and it turns out that this is Gwen dreaming of Vance's abduction kind of and she sees Vance carve the number 7741 into a kid's arm that he's beating up and drives follows him to a house that is a very specific house that she remembers when she wakes up And while she's in the car with Vance, she can hear the conversation between Vance and Finney, which is kind of a wild ride. Yeah. But he tells Finney to break into the wall next to the toilet, which leads to a freezer. And if he can figure out how to open the freezer, he'll be in the storage room and, I guess, escape from there. Uh... It was kind of a wild option and a really loud one, but that's okay. And then Robin calls and he tells him to fill the receiver with dirt so that he can just knock the guy out when he comes downstairs. He like tells him to do very specific motions. He's like, leap forward, jump back, tuck, dive, duck, dodge, and dive. Use the phone and hit. Use the phone. And at the time you're like, that's like a very specific move. It, it seems a little random. Yeah, it got um, really confusing. But I have I have a theory later for some of these things. Uh, so then 
Gwendolyn is riding her bike in the rain looking for this house that she had a dream of. And then she sees the five dead boys in front of her all of a sudden. And it turns out they were stopping her at the house that she saw in her vision. And she calls the police and the detectives show up full force, which again, it blows my mind how much faith they put into a little girl in her dreams. They were just like, fuck it, bring SWAT, call the National Guard. This eight-year-old or whatever, however old she is, said that there is somebody there. Yep. They show up, they go inside. It's an empty house. I'm going to pause there for that. And meanwhile, Max, the brother, has figured out that his house is the nexus for all of this. And Yeah, it's like the center point and he's like, oh shit. <laughs> so while his brother is quote-unquote at work, but really he's like shopping for murder supplies... He gets, I'm sorry, he, Max, goes downstairs and finds Finny. And he's like, oh shit, I'm going to save you. And at that moment, the grabber stabs him in the back of the head with an axe. Kills his own brother. Stabbed the right word. Hatchets him. I don't know. Um, Insert verb here. Hits, I guess. (laughs) Oh, there you go. (laughs) Blunt force traumaed his brain with an axe. That one. Yeah, okay. Uh, So this really makes the grabber mad, because now he's killed his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, also, side note, there's a part when he first grabs Finny where he's talking about, like, oh, this shouldn't have happened, I shouldn't have done that, this is not a good time. I think that's he says that because his brother is staying there and he didn't intend to kidnap people while his brother was there. Um, But he just, like, couldn't help it, I think it's what that was about just to throw that out there that was my theory but anyways uh he explains that his weapon of choice is usually a knife but he's going to instead torture finney really badly by using his dog which is so sad so game of thrones yeah yeah and it turns out that all the notes that the kids have been giving him culminate in this epic fight scene i guess you could call it uh where the the grabber falls into the hole he was digging and there's something about the wire that happens and so okay so go for it the the gist of it is that each of these kids you think are they're teaching him one way or another to escape but in reality they're putting this whole sequence together in order to kill or at least get away or kill the grabber so the hole that's covered up by the rug, he falls into, he hurts himself. He then, because he uses the meat from the freezer to distract the dog. Boom, there's that one. Uh, homeboy falls into the hole. He jumps over homeboy. Uh, or hits him or something. He hits him, hits him, gets him into the hole or something. And then he uses the wire to strangle him. I think. So yeah, it all like comes together, which is why I think when... Robin was giving him very specific, like, attacking details. He, I think, these boys live on, they're in, like, some death plane where time just, like, molds together. Kind of like what we talked about in our parapsychology episode. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so they, in their own way, were able to predict or see, they could see what was going to happen and, like, direct in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he gets out. And it turns out that the police were across the street from the house he was in. And the grabber owned that house and was burying the 
bodies in the basement of that house. So the police find the bodies. He gets out, runs to his sister. The dad is like, I repent. I'll never hurt you again. I love you. That's what I assume happened anyways. (laughs) Yeah. And that was what he makes it seem like. Yeah. I find it weird that he didn't just have his brother live in that house where he couldn't just like stumble upon a living kid you know yeah but I don't know maybe he did something special in that house that was dark and twisty that required him to be alone who knows there are a lot of unanswered questions for me about this movie and it that's what kind of drives me nuts because there are so many pieces that I feel are left out and they should have had more and it 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 just it felt super incomplete like incredibly incomplete well guess what i found an article from screen rant that says there's going to be a black phone too (laughs) great it better be a fucking description on the goddamn murderer himself because you don't know shit about this guy okay i'm gonna go off for a second so this guy's like i'm a magician right you don't see shit of that why mention it first off secondly throughout these times of him coming down the stairs to talk with finney or do whatever his his persona changes his mask changes and there's no fucking explanation for this at all you're sit there you you're left to sit there and go is it multiple personality disorder is he like like, what the fuck? Is this a split situation? Or is this just him being a fucking weirdo? Or, like, there's no fucking explanation of that at all. And it drives me nuts because I want to know more about this killer, why he's doing these things. Just anything about him other than he has a black man and uses black balloons. Well, I think one of the things that this movie gets quote-unquote praised for is the way they did like the framed the victim kind of thing. And I kind of like that you don't, they don't focus as much on the killer because we have an issue in America specifically where we know notorious killers. Like we know killers' names more than we know their victims' names, which is fucked up. We, I could name far more serial killers than I could people they've killed. And we shouldn't Mm -hmm. remember them, right? We should remember the people they murdered because that, a lot of them like feed off of that so i think that's part of what they were aiming for there um with not including more details about him was keeping it focused on the victims there's Um, also like one weird scary part and it's like the old i mean it's not even like a scary part but it's like one one haunting part where like finney sees one of the kids and he's like super decrepitly floating or something and then that's it yeah they like they were very sinister children like as soon as i read that the director did sinister i was like that's why those kids look so fucking familiar they look just like the kids in sinister yeah but the way that they appear um yeah they it's weird because they look beaten up right but they weren't brutally murdered like the way that they describe being murdered kind of um Mm -hmm. and you'd think that's what they would be shown like they some of them just have like tiny trickles of blood uh, and then there's that one, like you said, that one super creepy flash. But there, and and but, then there's nothing else like it. So I'm like, what the fuck? It's a little random. 
it did come and go. It was kind of different. Uh, so I was letting you rant because I do that all the time. Do you feel better? Did you get it off your chest? For now? No. There's more to no. go. No. God damn it. No. <laughs> so uh, speaking of... This, this movie drives me nuts. This movie fucking drives me nuts. The potential for a black phone too. In a interview with comicbook.com, Scott Derrickson said that Joe Hill pitched me a wonderful idea for a sequel to Black Phone, that if this movie does well, I'm going to do it. He's got a great idea. I really liked it. Joe's very protective and personal about his material, but he comes to me with an idea and I was like, that's how you do a sequel to Black Phone. That's terrific. And he... Uh, Ethan Hawke said that he would be more than willing to return for Black Phone 2 as long as Scott was involved, he said. They're besties, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, maybe, so, maybe the second one would be a little bit more flushed out because they're writing it from scratch and they're not trying to build on what was already a short story without completely rewriting the story, you know? So, they have some fantastic writers working on that. Okay. It's got potential. Um, I don't think we really need to do a graveyard. It was six boys, five boys. Yep. Sorry. Yep. We talked through that. And the oh. and the and the grabber. And we don't know how the oh, boys. The died. brother. Shit. Yeah. The brother. The grabber. So five boys. We have no idea how they died, except for the grabber did it. Max Miller got axed in. Axed in the head. Yes. <laughs> His brain got severed in half, uh, and then the grabber choked to death yep. while taking a phone call. The hazards of cord phones. That's why we went cordless, people. <laughs> hazards. Uh, so I did find on Screen Rant again because they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some theories about why only Finny. And sorry, I'm like adjusting a lot. Uh, Finney and the grabber can hear the phone. And we're okay. going to go through some of these real quick. One of the theories is that the black phone isn't really ringing. So I think the general idea is that Finney is just so he's tired. He's hungry. His state of mind, he's like in constant stress. So his mm-hmm. brain is just kind of making up that the phone is ringing just so he can have someone to talk to and he's desperate and he's isolated and he's scared the other part of this is that the grabber can only hear the phone ring because it's a psychological this is a quote psychological rendering of his underlying guilt for committing those murders but Hmm. okay i have problems with that theory and here's why um one how would even if finney was just pretending to hear the phone like it was just in his head how would he have found all the cool stuff that happened and like it just worked out, right? Right. Uh, to like I could see him happening upon the tile, maybe, but not like knowing about the, the freezer. Yeah. 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 Um, and then two, the grabber says the first time he heard the phone was when he was a child, and I don't think he yeah. was co- committing murders then, unless he too was like trapped in the basement as a child and stressed and stuff, which I do think that is what happened to that poor grabber. I think he got punished in that basement at some point in his life. And that's kind of what spurred all that. But uh, that's not part of this theory. Um, yeah. I didn't like that one. 
And that yep, was basically fair. the uh, only one they had. Wow, I thought that was going to be a lot longer. Okay. <laughs> well, cool. Here's another theory that has to do with this, but apparently no one can explain why they can hear it. I think one reason Finney can hear it is because, you know, they gave his mother, like, they have some genetic other world they have, connection. They have, yeah, they're, they're special in some way. Uh, they don't you know, show that the grabber has that, but maybe he did as a kid or something. Or like I said, he was just severely abused in the yeah. basement and it led him to a place like that. Uh, there is a theory that Black Phone and Sinister exist in the same universe, which is what we do. We take movies made by the same directors and we put them in a universe together. <laughs> and I'm not really sure like why they would be in the same universe, but that was somebody's idea. Basically, the idea is just that uh, it's a villainous person hunting children, much like the Bagul or whatever his name was, the monster thing in Sinister. But I don't know why that would put them in the same thing. I don't know. These are just, these are the theories people came up with. This isn't me, I swear. So here are reasons why people think Mr. Boogie and the Grabber have so many similarities. Uh, their masks, or the mask kind of looks like the paintings of blood of the uh, sinister guy. I don't see it, personally. Seen that at all? They're both murdering children in some form or other. That's a lot of um, bases of horror movies. <laughs> yep, I'm not really getting the uh... Pennywise. Uh, he likes to take kids because of fear. They're the same. Who's yeah, the same? Know. That was basically it. They were just like, yeah, the mask looks kind of the same, and they both hunt children. Oh, that's it. Okay. Yep, well, that was it. That's uh. Not enough for me. Oh, there's another one. The Bagul could shapeshift and explain Blackphone's past victims. Huh? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. These are just... Huh? I don't know. Huh? That eh? doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> doesn't make sense. People are arguing, I guess, that the Grabber is actually a version of the Bagul. And that he shapeshifts. Nope. Doesn't work for no, me. No. I don't like it. Because we talked about that one and how his whole thing was that the kids have to, like, sacrifice. It's a whole yeah. thing. Go back and yeah. listen to that episode. Yeah. I'm going to stop. Uh, I'm just going to stop there. I don't really like that theory. It doesn't fit. People are reading. Nope. Yeah. They're trying too hard for that one. So I was trying to figure out how many kids were missing in 1970s. The 1970s. Because this is... There were tons of prolific serial killers at this time, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Ted Bundy was in, like, Utah or just leaving Utah, some shit. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But I can't find a specific number because apparently that's too sad of a thing to just do. But I did find something that's estimated about 800,000 children go missing every year in the United States. God damn. That's a shit ton. That's terrifying. And people ask why I don't want children. <laughs> it's a lot of stress. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's uh just one of them one of those upsetting things about the world. Yep. Um so uh Joe Hill said that his original short story is inspired by notorious child serial killers, which fits with the seventies, such as John Wayne Gacy. Can I can I interject? Do you remember my uh, my beautiful skin that I so much love? The band that makes true crime music. 
uh her next her next song that she sent out uh i i get emails to pre-screen stuff tomorrow she is dropping her her john john wayne gacy song so uh great segue into our next episode is actually going to be about music that we like that has to do with horror (laughs) i have a lot of it for you (laughs) um That'll be our next 30 minute episode. So we're talking about music. That's going to be a hard 30, 30 minutes. Welcome to my world. Bitch. But anyways, that'll that'll be our next 30 minutes. So yay. That's cool that she's doing a John Wayne Gacy run. Actually, it's really good. I did bookmark an article about her. uh, She's quite wonderful. Uh, She did an interview and I was like, man. I bookmarked it like six months ago because I was like, it would be cool to do a, you know, a 30 minute episode. Mm-hmm. So, but anyways, that's coming. Look forward to that. Uh, if you have recommendations for it, send those over too. Oh yeah. If you have like music that is inspired by horror or we're, true crime or comes We're going to get a movies, lot of Ice Nine Kills. People or, are going to send in a lot of Ice Nine Kills stuff. Are those the people that did the... They do all the songs about horror movies and stuff. The parodies? Yeah. And uh, if you're an EDM fanatic, trust me, I know about Figure. We'll talk about Figure. I got a lot of his shit. It's so good. (laughs) Uh, But don't assume that we know stuff. Just send us stuff. Yeah, send it in. Send it in. I'm going to figure out all the rules for what we can and can't include in clips. (laughs) Uh, It'll be almost nothing. But, uh... Fun fact. That's okay. We'll put links to all the music that you can uh, attach. Anyways, that'll, that'll be the next episode. We're going to get back to John Wayne Gacy in this article. Actually, we're done talking about John Wayne Gacy pretty much. But uh, I guess in an article by Vanity Fair, it says that Joe Hill says the biggest difference between the story and the film, which this is a lie. It's not the biggest difference, but I'll give mm-hmm. it to him. Were the addition of some additional victims, which is true, and the grabber's background job. In the film, he is a part-time magician, but in the book, he is a part-time clown. And uh-huh. that was Joe Hill really leaning into that John Wayne Gacy inspiration. Mm-hmm. Hill says the reason they changed it was because of it. Uh, clowns, like horror clowns. We just said this other, on our last episode, anyway. too, that clowns as like a horror genre have just been so overdone and we don't really get it. Um, so I, yeah. was, I think it's cool they changed it to a magician. He said, "Not only you don't you don't get a lot of killer magicians out there." So, I know that's because you know what I'm gonna soapbox for a second. There are tons of TV shows and movies where when people are magicians, they they're like, "Oh, you're such a nerd. You're a magician," or they're loners. But I'm like, dude, if I knew a magician, they would be my best friend. I think magicians are fucking awesome. I want to learn all the tricks. If magician, if in a you know end of year talent shows, kids were doing magic tricks, I would be so fucking thrilled. <laughs> I think that would be so yeah. cool. Uh, TV shows make it look like magicians get shit on, but they don't. In reality, they're really cool. One of the things about TV that sucks, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not only are clowns ever done, it was had just come out, like got revamped, but it's also, mm-hmm. uh a book written by his father so he kind of wanted to you know keep his own identity right that's right (laughs) hill says 
I think the feeling amongst us was it would be a mistake to let the bad guy be a clown. That America has had its fill of evil clowns. Yes, thank you. There's Pennywise, and there's not room for another one. I mean, there's other ones, but that's okay. We're picking up what you're putting down. So we need to rethink. And I knew from reading about the history of magic and famous Carter Beats the Devil routine in which the magician plays both the devil and himself, which sounds really cool. And I'm going to look up more about that for a later day, by the way. Mm -hmm. And there was this history of Lucifer being part of old timey magic acts. So we talked about a devil mask. We talked about a magician, which when you hear them, their thought process for that is super fucking cool right the idea that like there's this whole story about a magician being the devil in himself but if i hadn't read that i never would have picked up on that you know i'm not well read like that the things that were added to the film were added simply to meet the time frame for a movie he said he had considered making black phone a full novel originally but at the time he had four failed novels and decided he had better chances of publishing if he kept it short Hill has given his seal of approval to the additions Derrickson made. I think he was very involved in like the process. Um, and he'll be very involved in Black Phone 2 if it happens. Uh, he said of Derrickson's writing, quote, It becomes this very audio- autobiographical statement of, I'm sorry, on the part of Scott Derrickson about what it was like to grow up in the 70s in the Midwest and what the 70s really looked like. Apparently it was just children beating children up in the road. That's what I got. And getting kidnapped. And it's a little bit less of a sort of bubblegum, bright nostalgia piece as we've sometimes had with movies set then. Hill says, The 1980s and the late 70s didn't really look like a Spielberg film for a lot of people. Instead, it was gritty and lonely sometimes. This was also like when hitchhiking was really big and kids were getting scooped up all over the place. Yeah. Another thing going on in the 70s was lots of serial killers, as we've said. Lots of missing people from hitchhiking, like I just said. Um, I think this is the generation that came up with in Stranger Danger and made hitchhiking illegal in a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. Derrickson said he grew up in North Denver around the time Ted Bundy passed through. And oh, there you go. The Manson murders. So, yeah. what a time. The other parts that were added that related to Derrickson's life are intended to give Finney a backstory. So, the bullying, the abusive alcoholic father, and his younger sister. Are, bo- are all pulled from Derrickson's life, he said. And personally, those were the things that annoyed me the most about the film. <laughs> Not the younger sister, but um, the weird, random, like, bullying backstory stuff. I would have rather... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So, they just... They didn't seem fully fleshed out to me. And then, like, the abusive dad also didn't seem, like, fully fleshed out i guess as like a i don't know i'm picky i guess uh anyways uh going back to the changes made to the grabber he is how he is described in the short story oh here is how he is described in the short story is what i meant to say he wasn't any this is a quote he wasn't any kind of fat but grotesquely fat his head had been shaved to a glossy polish and there were two plump folds of skin where his neck met the base of his skull. He wore a loud Hawaiian shirt, toucans nestled among hanging creepers, although it was too cool for short sleeves. Hmm. Yeah, so okay. definitely not at all Ethan Hawke. Nope. 
and I do like the film version better. It is a little bit creepier. Um, I get that if he was a clown, the grotesquely fat thing like fits. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, making him with Ethan Ethan Hawke and the change, it makes it easier for him to probably grab and be the the grabber himself. He's less obvious. People will notice yeah. a grotesquely fat man in a toucan shirt in the middle of winter. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I get it. Uh, the black balloons were also pulled from the short story. An odd but eerie inclusion. Like, so black is obviously a dark and mournful color that signifies mm -hmm. loss and fear, all depending on, like, the context. Mm -hmm. However... Those are not personifications or adjectives used to describe balloons. So when I think of balloons, I don't think, oh, scary. You know, you think balloons, yeah. you think parties and parties. Parties. Yeah. <laughs> parties, <laughs> celebrations. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of like what makes it eerie. What's fun is right after I finished typing out that little thought process, uh, the next line in the short story was, The sight of them disturbed him in some way. No one wanted black balloons. What were they good for anyway? Festive funerals? I was like, oh, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> All right. In the novel, it starts out immediately with 13-year-old John Finney being kidnapped by the part-time clown described previously. Honestly, I think that would have been a great beginning to the movie. Uh, yeah. Just, like, immediately starts out dark as fuck where he gets kidnapped. And then they do, like... Mm -hmm. You know, flashbacks. Cut scenes and yeah. Yeah, cut scenes. I think that would have been really cool, but I agree. Who am I? Not a writer, that's for sure. He had an older sister in the book, and her name was Susanna. The first child to disappear had happened two years prior to the events of the story. Mm. And it was nine year old Lauren. I think they were all boys, but I don't really know how to pronounce mm -hmm. that any differently. It was followed by two more, and then a 12-year-old boy named Bruce Yamada, whose shoe was found on Circus Street. Clown Circus. Mm -hmm. More than a year passed before Finney got snatched. So this guy had like a long cooling-off period compared to the grabber. Yeah. In their first exchange, Finney asked if they... If he's the one who killed the other kids, the grabber responds, No, not me. That was someone else. I'm not going to make you do anything you won't like. Which is such like an ewe feeling whenever an evil person says that. Oh, yeah. When they're like, I won't make you do anything you don't like. Like, oh, yeah. you know they're just going to do something super icky. Yeah. So finally, Bruce calls on the phone and explains it all to Finney. And... Bruce says, did the phone ring? Oh, I'm sorry. Finney says, did the phone ring for any of the other kids? And F Bruce replies, ask not for whom the phone rings. None of us heard it. It rang, but none of us heard. Just you. A person has to stay here a while before you learn how to hear it. You're the only one to last this long. He killed the other children before they recovered, but he can't kill you. Can't even come downstairs. His brother sits up all night in the living room making phone calls. His brother is a cokehead who never sleeps. Albert hates it, but he can't make... I'm sorry, Albert is the name of the grabber in this food, in the book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Albert hears the phone too. Sometimes when he's down in the basement, we prank call him, which I love. That was so funny. <laughs> um... And then basically, besides that, it went the same with the ending in the basement. Mm. Uh, but he doesn't do the whole... That's the only boy that calls, right? He doesn't have the whole, like, hole oh, in the um. floor kind of a thing. Um, 
I do. The explanation in the book does kind of fit a little bit more with like you have to be in the right mindset to hear the phone. Mm -hmm. In the book, he doesn't get food or water or anything. Like he's literally starving. He's deprived. Okay. He's isolated. That makes sense. Yeah. His mind is drifting, mm -hmm. which could also be like for the grabber. If he was put down there as like a punishment as a kid, maybe that's how he started hearing it. And then he started testing other kids and then murdered them because he's fucked up because of other things that happened to him in childhood. So like that stuff makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, there's your explanation. Are you happy now? No. <laughs> when reading articles they did highlight specific words or phrases and then embed them into other articles this specific article highlighted the phrase sadistic pedophile killer which is how they were describing uh, the grabber mm -hmm. and so I couldn't not click on it to find out what in the world that would link to and it turns out it went to another article from a website called showbiz cheat sheet called the most terrifying american serial killers of all time and three that were never caught okay and again this goes back to look at us we keep talking about the same serial killers over and over again but what about their victims kind of a thing right? yeah i mean i'm guilty of it too but i'm just saying that's what this movie did differently of mm -hmm. the 15 that they noted only four or five were child related including this unsolved one in Michigan, four children were kidnapped and murdered between February 1976 and March 1977. All four were bathed and left in clean clothing. One of the victim's mothers asked that the kidnapper, kidnapper release her son because she wanted to feed him his favorite meal of fried chicken. When his body was found, an autopsy showed that his last meal has been fried chicken. Hmm. Which is so sad. Which means... You know, the killer was watching the news, saw that, fed him fried chicken, then killed him. Yep. And a convicted pedophile named Christopher Bush was charged with the murders following a huge amount of evidence that they had found. And then when he committed suicide in 1978, the killing stopped completely. However, I guess people weren't totally convinced that it was him or that he had acted alone because they ran DNA evidence in 2012 and found that it wasn't actually him. Plenty of other criminals have been linked to the case, but in the end, it remains unsolved. Um, but yeah, that was just like a random one I saw. I can say they did have like a good mix of super well-known and mm -hmm. overdone cases like Ted Bundy, Richard Ramirez, John Wayne Gacy, and some that I hadn't heard of before. It was an okay article. But yeah, I just thought it was weird that they linked sadistic pedophile killer to that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Hill did say in his Vanity Fair article that if Universal wants to license a black phone escape room, he'd totally be okay with that. <laughs> All right. I mean, like, I could see it, but at the same time. Eh. I've never done an escape room, so I wouldn't know. Let's be honest here. I love escape rooms, but I'm trying to think of how this one would work. <laughs> if you want to keep it, like, related to the movie. 
Because part of the thing about escape rooms is there's puzzles that you have to work out. So there's like books and right. there's lots of shit in a room and you have to piece things together and find stuff. That room is bare. And if it's, yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure, really sure how they would like do that. But yeah, that was all I had for Black Phone. It's, um, like I said, I'm not going to say it was a bad film. I do think that I can tell the parts that were written by an author for a short part, like a short novel. Sorry, that's an oxymoron. A short book, a short story. That's the word I was looking for. A short novel. <laughs> like after reading that, I can tell what parts were done by a short, an author and the parts that were added for the movie. And I can tell mm -hmm. you the parts that were added for the movie, some of that stuff wasn't my favorite. I did like... I did kind of like how all the kids, like, their stuff comes together in the end. Because while he's doing it, I'm like, he stopped digging. What the fuck is the point? I'm like, what? what is the point of that wire? And what the hell is he going to do? He's trapped in a fridge now. <laughs> like, so it was kind of cool to see those come together. But, uh, but yeah. Oh, I, I don't know if I said it, but in the book, his sister was also, did get visions or something. But I don't think they were quite as pronounced as they were in the movie i think it's just him kind of like thinking of his sister and wondering okay. if she's i can't remember specifically but it is like i said a movie that i can be like yeah i saw that but i don't really need to watch it again yep nope um some fun news real quick um well could be fun i saw they're coming out with a conjuring four hopefully it's better than the third one um, I didn't mind the third one. Compared to the first and second one, it just didn't fit. I think is where my head is. It just it like didn't. It was different. But as we talked about in that episode, it matched their personal timeline. So whatever. Yeah. But anyways, there's a Conjuring four, a Nun two, um, Hocus Pocus two, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm and... so skeptical, but I'm going to watch it, obviously. But I'm so skeptical. I saw the trailer. I have not seen the trailer. We'll see. Yeah. I did get a really cool flannel today that on the back it says, It's a full moon out. All the, or it's a full moon. All the weirdos are out. <laughs> from, from Hocus Pocus. I think it's Netflix is also doing an anthology where famous like horror directors get to direct mm -hmm. an episode yep. i saw the trailer for the wednesday tv show and actually i'm super excited um i know we kind of were very worried about it i'm still worried but the trailer definitely met my I expectations i'm so excited i want to see it so bad um so as long as they keep it like less nancy drew i'm be good which yeah. it's tim burns so of course he will there yeah. were some other things, but I can't remember what they were specifically. But if there's anything you're excited about, let us know. And yeah. if there's music you want us to talk about or anyone that you're inspired by or people you know that you listen to that do that kind of stuff with horror, let us know. Halloween. We'll we forgot to mention that Halloween Kills is coming out. That's a huge one. Well, we already know that. So that's not a new one. That's been announced for like four years. I was talking about stuff that's like... <laughs> I mean, like, the trailer's out for it, though. Fresh off the table. If you've seen the last movie, you've seen the trailer. Yeah, I've lost my train of thought, but yeah. 
Let so, us know about music. Horror music. can send all that stuff to our Instagram or Facebook at... Horror underscore cat... Uh, yeah, horror underscore cats underscore witch hats. <laughs> you can also send it to our Gmail. Which is horrors... Horrorcatswitchhats at gmail.com. And it is horror, H-O-R-R-O-R, and not horror. W-H-O-R-E. Am I saying it that way? I'm so sorry. No, horror. but I feel like when I say it fast, it says it sounds like that sometimes. But um, That's fair. Like the barista, she was writing horror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, and... Until next time. Meow. Meow. Meow.